Welcome to the American Lung Association in Western New York Community Conversations. Each month, we'll bring you a few episodes covering different lung health topics that are local and relevant to our community by interviewing experts around the area and digging deeper into the lives of those affected by lung cancer or other chronic lung diseases through their personal experiences and occupations. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths in America for both men and women. People that you know are struggling with lung cancer, COPD, asthma, and more every single day, though most people don't consider lung disease a top-of-mind health concern. We hope to change the stigma that lung cancer only affects smokers, that asthma is only a mild issue, that the outdoor and indoor air we breathe doesn't have an impact on our lung health, and so much more. So kick back, relax, and get ready to learn. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to American Lung Association in Western New York Community Conversations. Today, we bring you our 10th episode all about asthma, still part of our second season focused on lung disease trends, commonalities, and risk factors. Joining us for our conversation today is Dr. Jamie Wildridge, Professor of Pediatric Pulmonology at the University of Rochester Medical Center, Department of Pediatrics. She has also been serving as a Lung Association Physician Champion, helping us implement Project Breathe throughout Erie County in conjunction with the Asthma Coalition of Erie, Monroe, and Niagara Counties. American Lung Association in Western New York Community Conversations is sponsored by Independent Health. Independent Health is extremely active in the Western New York community, promoting healthy lifestyles by giving people the opportunity to engage in physical activities throughout our cities, healthy meal options and plans, and personal health care programs. Visit their website at independenthealth.org to learn more about what they do and how to get involved with them. We're excited to learn more about asthma in children, what parents should look for, asthma exacerbations, and a lot more. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Wildridge. All right. Hi, Dr. Wildridge. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to talk about the topic of asthma today. We do a lot of work internally with our health promotions team around asthma in Buffalo. So it's really exciting. I know you work with them as well. So if you wouldn't mind first, could you just give a little bit of background on yourself and what you do? Oh, certainly. I am a pediatric pulmonologist, which are really fancy words for um, I take care of kids that have lung disease. And asthma is definitely one of the um, main diseases that I um, see in kids in my practice. So I've worked at Oshai Children's Hospital, and I am now currently working at University of Rochester um, Medical Center and Galasano Children's Hospital. Awesome. That's amazing. So I'd love to kind of jump right in off the bat. If you could give us an overview of what is asthma? What is happening in our lungs when somebody is experiencing asthma? Okay, that's a great first question. So in our lungs, we have these teeny tiny little air tubes that carry the air out into the air sacs. And asthma happens in those air tubes. And basically what it is, is it's irritation. And that irritation can be caused from getting a cold, like a viral infection, definitely caused by cigarette smoke or vaping, the mist that comes off of vaping, but also things like dust and pollen in the air can cause irritation in those small air tubes. And when those air tubes get irritated, they wanna get away from that irritation. And so the first thing that they'll do is they'll make the person cough and the coughing is um, that sign that the air tubes are irritated and they're trying to get that irritation up and out. 
But if coughing doesn't get rid of the irritation or comes right back when the patient uh, or person takes another breath in, then what happens is there are teeny tiny muscles that wrap around the air tubes and those muscles actually contract and squeeze the air tubes and so the air tubes get smaller. And when those air tubes get smaller, then the person has a really hard time breathing. And that's what I think most people think of as asthma, is a hard time breathing. You may hear wheezing, and that wheezing is usually when you breathe out. Um, and that's what a lot of people who have asthma say, is that they've got to squeeze really hard to get their breath out. That's very interesting. So... I know I have experienced asthma in my life before, and some of my friends are actually diagnosed more severely with it. And I feel like a common phrase is kind of feeling like your throat is closing. So essentially, there's not much being being done in your throat. It, what you're feeling is the feeling of those air tubes getting smaller around your lungs. Yep, exactly. So if you could give us an idea, how many people currently have asthma? Um, it, asthma is very common, and the Centers for Disease Control actually collects this data and publishes it on an annual basis. So um, their data shows that 1 in 13 people have asthma. So if you think about your child's classroom, there's an asthmatic in that classroom, at least one. Um, and that equates to 25 million Americans having asthma. Um, you can also think of it as um, uh, almost 8% of adults um, have asthma and well over 8% of children have asthma. So it's a really common chronic illness. I would love to talk a little bit more about children with asthma because I know that is such a serious issue that we deal with and want to make sure that parents are able to kind of keep track of asthmatic children and everything like that. So if we could start off with what is the common age for people to develop asthma? Um, because I know it is young and how common is asthma in children? So asthma can really develop at any age. And it's one of the most common um, chronic illnesses. And chronic means it doesn't go away easily in children. And what's interesting is you see so much fundraising for children with cancer and muscular dystrophy, but really asthma is much more common, especially in the kids that are zero to four years of age. And the thought is, is because they get exposed to all those viral illnesses that it triggers their asthma and they have much more difficulty with it. That's very interesting. And as I mentioned, uh, the Lung Association does do a lot of work with asthma, and I will make sure to link all of our resources and information on asthma in the description below as well, because we do have a ton. So on the note of parents starting to notice asthma symptoms in their children, um, you're mentioning it's especially common in children ages zero to four. Clearly, those children are not able to kind of express their symptoms and what they're feeling. So what are some symptoms and signs shown of early asthma in children that a parent should be on the lookout for? That's a great question, because asthma in young children often gets missed. And that's because the biggest um, symptom or what that child is going to, um, the parents will see in the child is a cough. And a lot of times it's a cough that just doesn't go away. So for example, let's say you have a child, your child gets a cold, they have a runny nose, maybe they have a little bit of a fever, um, they kind of feel not themselves, they're sleeping more. And with that, they get a cough. But after a week or so, your child's back to feeling normal. The runny nose has gone away. The fever's gone away. They seem to be fine, except they're still coughing. So that can be a sign. And that cough could last for maybe another week or a few weeks. 
or if you find that your child is coughing frequently, they'll get a cold, they get a, they have a bad cough with that, um, they get a little bit better, and then a month later, they have another cold with another cough. Um, those can all be um, those subtle indicators that your child might have asthma. Another thing to look at um, or think about is if you've had doctors say that your child has bronchiolitis and not once, a child that has bronchiolitis once, that doesn't be asthma. But if they have bronchiolitis again and again and again, definitely need to be thinking about um, asthma. And the reason this can be sneaky in this age is because the most common cause of irritation in the lungs in young kids are viral infections. And so oftentimes people are thinking about allergens and well, my child's not allergic to anything and they don't have to be allergic to anything. It can just be those pesky little viruses causing their problems. Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's very important information for all of our parents and families and even teachers and everything out there. So thank you so much. So bringing it back a little bit to asthma in general, kind of affecting all ages, we know that asthma ranges in severity or that's kind of how I feel like the public looks at it. So in your opinion and in your terms as an expert, how would you describe the difference between mild asthma and severe asthma if, if there is a difference? Well, there's some medical terminology that makes a difference, but I'll tell you for the common person out there, I don't see a difference. I see asthma as asthma. Uh, there is no such thing as mild or severe. And that's because anybody who has asthma is at risk for that irritation to become so significant or so bad in their lungs and for those air tubes to squeeze down so tight that that person can't breathe. And if they can't breathe, then asthma becomes very dangerous very quickly. Um, and that's why I really say that there's not really a difference. I've seen mild asthmatics have severe episodes, um, life-threatening episodes um, with their asthma. And so the way I think of asthma is, is it controlled or is it not controlled? Somebody who has well-controlled asthma means that they rarely cough. And coughing rarely means maybe one or two times a week or really less. I take care of kids that have asthma, but they can go weeks without a cough. Also, if, the well if their asthma is well-controlled, it means that you shouldn't wake up at night coughing. And you should be able to run, play, and exercise without difficulty. Now, if you or your child's asthma is causing them to cough multiple times a week, ever waking up, awaken at night or limiting their activity, it's not well controlled. And I would definitely make the recommendation that you need to talk to your doctor about it. I really like the way that you phrased all of that, because I know when I was speaking to you before this conversation, that was kind of the first time that I had heard asthma described like that. And I do think that it makes so much more sense. I hear people all the time say things like, oh, I have mild asthma or severe asthma. And I feel like we aren't understanding that it's more of a difference between controlled or not controlled and that we really are at risk. Even if you feel that you have mild symptoms, you're still at risk for the bigger picture issues. So I'm really glad that you mapped it out like that. Oh, certainly. Going off of some of the symptoms of asthma, I know that we have talked about cough and wheezing, but would we be able to go a little bit more in depth on other symptoms that people with asthma might experience and should look out for? Certainly. Well, and first I want to say is that, yes, we have talked about coughing and that's because coughing is your most 
frequent first symptom that somebody will experience. Um, and that's that first sign that those air tubes are irritated and they're making you cough to try to get rid of that irritation. But when those air tubes kind of squeeze down, that's when the wheezing um, starts because now you're trying to move air through a tube that's much smaller than it should be. It's kind of like if you think about a river, if the, if the banks of the river are nice and wide, the water moves very smoothly and quietly. If the banks of the river narrow, then it starts to, the water in the river starts to make a lot of noise and you may get rapids. Same thing that causes wheezing in the air tubes. And that wheezing often occurs when you breathe out. Other things that people will feel is shortness of breath, um, feeling that they often, like I said, can't get their breath out. And they may feel that their chest is tight. Um, and if you're having that shortness of breath or that chest tightness, this is definitely a sign that your asthma is getting much worse and you need to be um, seeking your medication and seeking medical care. Thank you for that. Um, and kind of right along the same lines of all the symptoms that we are experiencing, I know that kind of does describe what an asthma episode is, all of those symptoms. Um, but would we be able to dive into kind of how those symptoms play a role into somebody noticing an onset to a more extreme exacerbation before it gets out of control? So um, uh, as I've said, often the, it will start with a cough. Um, patient may think they're getting a cold. Patient may um, be able to go, oh, I was outside or we had a weather change or I went over to my friend's house who has a cat and I know I'm allergic to the cat. And so they may notice that they're starting to cough first. Um, and that's their way, body's way of saying, hey, we've gotten exposed to something that we don't like. It can occur for a few days. And that may be the only thing and you don't really think much of it. But as the irritation increases in those air tubes and the air tubes start to squeeze down, that's when then the person will start feeling that tightness in their chest, that shortness of breath, and wheezing may be heard. And the wheezing is actually a sound kind of like a... <sighs> Um, and so that's when you start hearing that, that's symptoms that you're going into a full-blown asthma attack. You need to get your medication, your inhaler medication, specifically your rescue medication, um, which is most of the time albuterol. Get your asthma action plan, take it, and then start um, getting hold of your doctor to figure out what else you need to do to get yourself out of that asthma attack before you end up having to go to the emergency room and be in the hospital. I know that we will um, talk a little bit about the hospitalization or emergency care for asthma attacks later in our conversation. And before we actually touch on the quick relief or long-term medications that you were um, just discussing a little bit, I would actually like to jump to what are some of the common triggers for asthmatics? Because we were just discussing things such as um, if you know you're allergic to a cat or something like that. So I would love to kind of jump into the triggers while we're on that topic right now. Oh, certainly. So as I've said, viral infections are a big trigger. Cigarette smoke. Um, and that includes when the smoker is smoking outside. So let's say um, the parents smoke outside, but they come back inside um, and they have that smoke um, and the chemicals from the smoke in their hair and on their clothes, then their child's going to get um, exposed to it. Another big risk um, with cigarette smoke is if somebody smokes in the car and they may not smoke when the person with asthma is the car, but if they smoke in the car at other times, those chemicals will be in the car. Another big thing is the mist from vaping. 
the uh, liquids used in vaping have a lot of different chemicals in them, and that um, vaping can definitely um, cause an asthma exacerbation, whether you're a person doing uh, the vaping or being around somebody else who's vaping. And there are um, allergens um, uh, inside the house, like dust, um, and specifically it's dust mites. There are these little teeny tiny microscopic bugs that live in dust. And then you can get outside allergens like grasses and trees um, and animals. Another thing that can happen is weather changes. There are some people I've known who are very sensitive to cold weather. I happen to be one of those people. Um, but there are also people who um, are fine during the winter and are very susceptible when it's very hot outside. It's interesting, there are some people who if they um, suddenly laugh really hard or suddenly start crying really hard, that can actually cause an irritation. And then another um, factor that can make asthma worse that a lot of people don't realize is both obstructive sleep apnea. So if you're snoring at night or if you have heartburn, reflux, that can also are things that can make asthma worse. That's very interesting. I actually did not know about the acid reflux, but we did actually just release a few conversations on smoking, on vaping, and also on sleep apnea, where we did kind of talk a little bit about the relationship between sleep apnea and asthma. And I'm just loving that we're able to kind of bring everything full circle. And hopefully our listeners can really get the most out of all of these and be able to start tying everything into their lung health. So I'm glad you touched on all of those areas as well. So back to the quick relief medications that we were talking about with um, when we experience those asthma symptoms, when we are exposed to those triggers, what types of quick relief medications are available for people when they do experience an episode? Um, so there are two types of asthma medications. The first type is what you just called a quick relief medication. We also call it a rescue medication. And the most common uh, rescue medication for asthma is albuterol. Um, and albuterol comes both in an inhaler that you can breathe in, or you can also buy it as a, a nebulizer, which is the machine that then creates a mist that you breathe in. And what albuterol does is that when you breathe it in, um, it goes to those little teeny tiny air tubes. And remember those muscles that wrap around the air tubes? Well, the albuterol works by telling those muscles to relax. So when the muscles relax, the air tubes can get bigger and it then is easier to breathe. And albuterol works very quickly. Like people start feeling a difference after taking albuterol within a few minutes and is in maximum effect by about 15 minutes. But the thing about albuterol is it doesn't last very long. It only lasts about four to six hours. And sometimes it doesn't even last that long. And it also doesn't do anything for the irritation. It only works on those muscles and makes those muscles relax. So when the albuterol wears off a few hours later, those air tubes are still irritated. Those muscles are going to um, contract and those air tubes are going to get small. So a lot of people come in and tell me albuterol doesn't help. And that's because they want the albuterol to make everything better and then for it to stay better. And they just don't understand exactly how albuterol works. Thank you for going over the albuterol. And as you're saying, we know that people cannot solely rely on that quick relief asthma medication. And um, as you're saying, you've heard people come back with complaints and in that your air tubes do actually get smaller again because they're still irritated, which shows the importance of managing and preventing these flare-ups. Would you be able to go over long-term control medications and the importance of them? 
So this is the second type of asthma medication, and they're called controller medications. And these medications work by actually stopping the irritation in the air tubes. That's why they're so great. And when that irritation is stopped, then the air tubes don't have to get smaller anymore, and the air tubes don't have to make the person cough. Now, for these medicines to work, they have to be taken every day because the irritations are always around. And if we don't take um, our daily controller medicine, then that irritation will come back and it will make the person with asthma start coughing again. And so these are medications you take. They're usually inhalers and you take them. Um, sometimes they're once a day, frequently they're twice a day. Um, I definitely recommend that you use a spacer. Um, there's good... Um, uh, research that shows that anybody who uses a spacer, they will get at least 50% more of the medicine in their lungs than if they don't use a spacer. And the other thing that I recommend is for people to write down when they take their controller medication to help them remember. Or you can set an alarm on your phone. Because I think in our daily lives, we get busy and we get hit with a, a million different distractions. And I know that I, for myself, um, will forget. And, and when I have asthma and I forget to take my asthma medicine, I feel it later that day. But that morning when I got distracted by my kids or the dog came in, or maybe I got a phone call or a text and, um, and uh, it interrupted my routine, then I may miss that taking my asthma controller. Um, and I don't even realize it. And I'm pretty sure I've taken it. So what I do is I write it down every time I take it to help me know, oh, that way if I'm not sure, I can look and go, oh, yeah, I've written down the last time I took it was actually last night. So therefore, I need to take it this morning. And that helps me be consistent with my asthma medicines. I'm really glad you shared that. That is so important and true. I know there's been different daily medications that I've been on at certain times where by the time you're taking it every day, you aren't even sure if what you're remembering from taking it was this morning or yesterday or a few days ago. So um, writing it down is, is a very simple, but yeah, it seems to be a very just productive way of, of remembering to take that medicine. So thank you for sharing that tip. So we've kind of outlined a little bit of different triggers, different symptoms, different medications, ways that people can start to control their asthma and really just proving the importance of if you have asthmatic symptoms or if you're noticing it in your child to make sure you really do go to the doctor. To round this conversation out, I would love to talk a little bit more about how bad asthma episodes can get if they're not controlled. I know there are many people that live with asthma who have not been hospitalized or have not needed emergency care and they, um, in their terms, are doing just fine. But as you were saying that anybody is kind of at risk if you have asthma to these um, exacerbations, how would somebody know that it is time to seek emergency care? Well, we actually have a tool in asthma called an asthma action plan um, because everybody asthma is different. Um, and the asthma action plan is specialized to you. It's something you get from your doctor and it helps you understand um, when your asthma is doing well and when your asthma is not doing well and you need to see the doctor or if you need to actually seek emergency care. And the asthma action plan is actually very simple to follow. It actually explains three different types of, 
of days. And it's a lot like a stop sign or a stoplight, I should say. So on green days, you feel great. Green means go. You can breathe easily. You're no, not coughing. You're not wheezing. You're you, uh, no shortness of breath. And on those days, you just take your controller medicine and you go out and do whatever you want in your life. Um, and then yellow days are those days when you are starting to have a little bit of irritation. Maybe there's been um, a temperature change um, or you um, walked by somebody that was smoking or, um, you know, you got a little bit of a cold. And on yellow days, your asthma is starting to cause you um, to have some coughing or you may have some mild chest wheezing. And the asthma action plan then tells you to start taking your albuterol. It'll tell you how much albuterol to take and how often. And then it also tells you when you should call your doctor. And usually that's if you find yourself, you've been using your albuterol um, for the last 24 hours or maybe 48 hours, so one to two days. And that's when you call your doctor and go, hey, look, my asthma is causing me problems. Um, my regular controller medicine is not working. And you can talk with your doctor to figure out if you need um, to come in and be seen. And then there are those red days. Red days are stop, just like the stoplight. Okay, red days, you're having a lot of difficulty with your breathing. You're coughing a lot. Your chest feels very tight. Your breathing is very difficult. Well, the asthma action plan is going to tell you how much albuterol to take. And a lot of times it'll be a lot more. And then it gives you very clear instructions on where to go to see a doctor quickly. And that may be something like an acute care clinic, um, or the emergency room. And the goal of, of good asthma care and somebody that's um, well controlled is that they will never have a red day. Awesome. That is a very important tool. I'm glad you touched on it because the American Lung Association actually does have an asthma action plan that you can download in both English and Spanish um, that can be signed off by your healthcare provider, as well as a school nurse and a parent or guardian. So it kind of tries to cover all those bases. So I will make sure to link that in the description below as well. So before we end and close this out, do you have any resources or just comments or anything that you would like to make that maybe we've missed around asthma? There's one additional comment, and that is that somebody who has asthma um, should be able to do anything that they want in their life. Um, I, I see kids that come in and they limit their activity or maybe they're um, just stay inside and play video games because they're afraid to go outside. They're afraid to play any games um, because um, they think that that's going to make their asthma worse. And I really want to emphasize that somebody with asthma, when it's well controlled, should be able to go out in life and do anything that they want. That's awesome. Thank you for that note of inspiration. I think that that's probably very important for anyone with asthma or even parents of children with asthma that are that are dealing with that anxiety right now. Um, important for them to hear. So thank you so much. And thank you for joining us in our interview today. It was my honor to be able to share this information with everyone. All right. Thanks again. Take care. You too. Let's give a big thanks again to Dr. Wildridge for lending her knowledge and expertise to us today. As mentioned, asthma is an extremely common disease in both children and adults, and it's very, very important that you make a plan with your doctor, home, and school, regardless of how often your asthma causes you noticeable issues. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we would love to hear from you on what you're interested in learning about. Connect with us on Facebook at Lung Force Walk Buffalo, Fight for Air Climb Buffalo, or Fight for Air Climb Rochester. All three will be linked below. 
take care and we will talk to you soon.